say thank you to Justin for sharing his story. We'll talk more about what he had to say there in just a moment. Um, but Justin and Darren, a couple weeks ago, and, and we've got more stories to come as we continue our conversation called Integrity. If you have a Bible, you can meet me in Matthew chapter 6. That's where we will be this morning. And as you're finding that, I just want to say, and i got to be careful about how I say this, because um, this is not like a thirsty Steve moment, but October is Pastor's Appreciation Month. Yes. <laughs> and I, again, I say that not because I'm looking for anything in particular, but it just so happens that October coincides with two pretty significant anniversaries. So as of today, James has been here for two years, our associate pastor, who... Uh, who leads us in worship and, and does creative stuff like that video that we just watched. And then Antonio, Pastor Antonio, has been here for one year. And, uh, and so that's pretty cool. So in the spirit of Pastor Appreciation Month, give them a high five or a hug or a fist bump or a word of encouragement or whatever this morning. And I'm sure they would appreciate that. All right, uh, Matthew chapter 6. We're getting, we're getting right into it. Um, as we continue this conversation, uh, I, I mean, money is one of those things that it's like, oh, great. I came on the money Sunday, right? We'll talk about this. This is, this is actually one of my favorite things to talk about, but we are jumping right into it. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. I'm just going to read a couple verses here. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve, this is now down to verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Let's pray. Jesus, we ask for extra grace this morning. As we start to explore a topic that can be deeply personal, that can hit on all sorts of feelings and emotions and experiences, God, we ask for extra grace for this conversation. God, we pray that whatever we might bring in today with us, whether it's related to the topic of money or just other stuff that is going on in our lives that create worry, fear, anxiety. Maybe we, we come in this morning with lots of great things going on, and that, that can be wonderful and distracting at the same time. Whatever it is that we bring into this space, God, would you hold it for us now so that we can be fully present here? Would you speak to us, God? We, uh, we are here anticipating hearing your voice. Would you speak to us today and give us the courage to respond in whatever ways we need to respond? And everybody said... Amen. All right, so we are now into kind of the second part, state of being called integrity. Remember, our definition of the word integrity is the state of being whole and undivided. Now, typically when we think of integrity, we think of, uh, of it from a moral perspective, right? A person of integrity is someone who acts in a morally positive way, and while that's not a wrong 
understanding or definition at all. We've been making the argument that that is a thin understanding of the idea of integrity, whereas whole and undivided reflects the thicker teaching of Jesus. Jesus, who invites us to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength, all of our mind, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. This sort of wholehearted life in response to the good news of Jesus. This is what we've been calling structural integrity, more than morality, more than just being people, people who are built to last, people who create safe uh, and habitable space for others. At the core of Structural integrity, a whole and undivided life, is generosity. And this has really been our, our, our thesis for this conversation. This is a quote from Erwin McManus who says, Wholeness is not found through receiving but through giving. Wholeness and generosity are inseparably linked. Paradoxically, we become whole as we give ourselves away. When we think about structural integrity and, and the idea of like a building that, that's safe and sound, we might think, oh, I need to work on myself, build myself up, do these things. And, and some of those things may be really good and helpful for us. But there's this paradoxical truth that we become more whole as we grow in generosity, as we give ourselves away. Now, we've been, de- we've been looking at this and defining this in a very broad way. We've been looking at three different ways that we can be generous and move towards this kind of structural integrity. Generosity through how we use our time and our talent and our treasure. So we've spent a couple weeks looking at time and now we turn our attention to treasure money, which is the church version of that Bruno song from Encanto. We don't talk about money, no, 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 no. That, may that now be stuck in your head for the rest of the day. You're welcome. <laughs> from time to time, I'm asked the question, what's your least favorite thing to talk about or to preach about? And I think when people ask that question, they often assume that I am going to say money, but I actually really enjoy teaching on this topic. And it's because, you know, as Jesus says, money gets us right to the heart of what matters. It gets right to the heart of what matters. This quote we looked at last week from Rich Velotis, God dwells only in reality. And for a lot of us, what is real is how we think about and manage and steward the finances that we've been entrusted with. And so I don't know of too many topics that we can talk about in 21st century America that get to what is real, that get to reality where God dwells the way that money does. Now, having said all that, I just want to kind of lay a couple things out there, just say some things that, that are helpful to say out loud as we engage with this conversation and this topic that can be hard for a lot of us to to consider. The first is this. We all experience, whatever our standing might be, we all experience anxiety about finances. And, And I think that this is true, generally speaking, but especially in our moment. Post-pandemic, COVID moments, this inflation impacted moment, Money issues are real, right? It's on our minds all the time. We all experience anxiety about finances. Second, many of us are not great at managing our money. I really appreciate Justin being 
vulnerable to share his story because Justin has a little bit of a reputation here at Discovery for being like the budget guru. And I will uh, freely advertise that later on in, in our, in our uh, chat this morning. But it took him, like that, that, that uh, experience and knowledge with, with budgeting comes from pain. And I think it's a pain that many of us have. There could be a lot of versions of that story that we put up uh, on a morning like this. And there's all sorts of uh, very alarming statistics around how we manage our money. Just one. Okay, I'm just going to give one example. The average American spends $18,000 a year on non-essentials. Now, non-essentials is a gray area, right? And we can debate what is actually essential and non-essential. But just think about that for a moment. Uh, imagine getting $1,500 a month back. Be pretty nice, right? Third, we have a lot of shame about our money management. And so we don't talk about it and we hide it and then it gets worse and then we don't talk about it some more. And then again, you just cue the shame spiral and we're in a really dark place when it comes to our finances. Now, <clears throat> before you get all mad at me, this pastor making me feel bad about my money on Sunday morning. I also have to say that churches are notoriously bad at talking about money and also at managing money. Whether it's, you know, sort of small scale, you know, nagging, like, oh, we won't be able to turn the lights on if you don't give. There's like that kind of thing that happens a lot, but there's also like much larger scale issues. The Brotherhood Mutual, which is an insurer of churches and ministries, uh, released a study where, where they uh, are, are pretty clear that there is more, uh, there's more money that is mishandled and embezzled in church than is given to world missions. And, and here's the thing. There's a lot of money given to world missions. We're talking billions of dollars. And so if there's more money being mishandled and embezzled, that's like, whoa. Right? It, it, it's the kind of, like that, I was reading that article, and it's like, it's heartbreaking. It also is like rage-inducing. <laughs> like, how does this happen? To say that the church is not leading the way in wise money management is a gross understatement. So some things that I think are kind of helpful to say up front as we enter into this conversation. Now for us here at Discovery, back in 2020, in the, this was January, in the before times, right, we did a series, a conversation about this called What We Talk About When We Talk About Giving, and I got to tell you guys, it was really good. It, I know it was really good talk. Um, and, and so if you want to go back and, and listen to that, um, that's available on our webpage and Spotify and all that kind of stuff. But this is the kind of thing we're like, just because we talked about it a couple of years ago, doesn't mean that we have it all figured out, right? And so we continue as a church community to work really hard at, at building a, a healthy financial culture here at this church. And I think that involves two things in reference to what I mentioned earlier. Part of that is how we actually handle the funds that, that come in here. Each year we do a thing called State of Discovery where we walk you through this is the budget and this is, this is what came in last year and what we anticipate coming in the next year and how we're going to allocate those funds and, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, we actually uh, taped this year's uh, version of that, so that was in June of this year. If you would like to see that, if you missed it for whatever reason, 
Um, send me an email or, or let me know and I can send you a link to that so that you can see exactly what our, our budgeting goals and finances look like for the 2022-23 uh, fiscal year. You can also come to our elders at any time and ask them about how are things going financially. We try to be as open about that as possible. So part of it is how we actually manage the funds that come in. But the other part of it is also about the, the culture that we're building and the language that we use around this. In our gathering every Sunday as a part of our liturgy, we say the same thing. Our aim is to give missionally, sacrificially, and worshipfully. That is not just like Pick three words that would be good to say. Those are very intentional, thoughtful words that we have chosen to help build the culture of generosity here at Discovery. And those three words actually were the frame of that conversation back in 2020. And I want to revisit those today and next week. Today we're going to look at the word worship. Because when we get into Matthew chapter 6 and the words that Jesus uses there in that teaching, what he is talking to us about is worship. Matthew chapter 6, it comes in the middle of this larger teaching. It's his first real big uh, teaching in the book of Matthew. He's laying out his vision for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of right relationships. And in the middle of that, he begins to talk about the things that cause us to worry. Right, the things that cause us anxiety, and a lot of that centers around money. Which leads us to ask a very big question, right? What does my treasure and how I, how I hold it, how I handle it, my posture towards it, what does my treasure say about my heart? And that's a question that probably all of us could spend some time Reflecting on a bit. What does my treasure reveal from our master? Money can very quickly become a controlling factor. The, the, the thing that consumes our time and our energy and, and, and our minds, it can become a God substitute. And the Bible has a word for things that become a substitute for God. That word is idols. An idol is anything that takes the place of God. And, and this idea very much brings us back to worship. Because worship is about what we put value on. It is ascribing worth, ultimate worth, to something. When we talk about our heart, when we talk about our treasure, we're talking about the deepest things, the things that matter the most. What is at the center for us? What is at the center for us? We all worship something. David Foster Wallace had this brilliant, brilliant quote from a commencement speech that he gave many years ago. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. Which to me is a great summary translation of Matthew 6, 24. You can't serve two masters. So the question for us now then is, all right, so how do we take a worshipful posture towards money so that it doesn't eat us alive, so that it doesn't become a money and so, or become an idol, and so we can continue to move towards wholeness and integrity? Posture number one is this. God owns everything, and I am a manager or a steward. 
Also in our liturgy, uh, often we'll say something like this. We'll talk about generosity as giving back to God. Because it's God's already. We're just giving back to him some of what he has entrusted to us. That language is a reflection of this posture. God owns it. We manage it. Jesus uses this imagery in many different stories throughout the Gospels, but it also draws us back into the creation story where God creates us in his image and then invites us, calls us, in fact, to steward his creation. Take care of this good world that I have made. If you've ever house sat for someone, you know what it means to be a steward. There's this period of time where you live there. You inhabit that space. And you have access to the fridge and all the other, the cable or whatever it is that that house. That was my favorite thing about house sitting was how many channels do they get? Um, but you, get, you have access to all this. You, you, you're in that space, you're, but you're taking care of it, right? You're maintaining it. You're making sure that nothing bad happens to it. And in fact, if you're a good steward, not only do you maintain it and take care of it, but you leave it in better condition than when you arrive. That's what it means to be a steward. God owns everything. I am simply a steward. Posture two, my money goes where I put God's money. This is just another way of saying where, where your heart is, there your treasure is, right? But to get real practical for a moment, if you want to know what you treasure, start with your bank statement. Start with your bank statement. Dwelling in reality means actually knowing what it is that I am spending. This heart is not in the right place. Change your spending habits. It, you know, sometimes we think, oh man, I, I feel like something's off spiritually in my life. I need to pray more. I need to read my Bible. Those are very good things. Please do those things. But sometimes we just need to change our spending habits. And as we do that, watch our heart follow. Our church has been supporting a number of different people locally and around, uh, around the world. But I'm going to name now, David and Claudia Osa, because David's actually going to be with us next week. So if you are here, he'll be uh, in the gathering sharing with us a little bit. But they are uh, missionaries in Montevideo, Uruguay, working with college students there. And we've been supporting them as a church for over three years now. We just sent a team down there in March uh, to spend some time with them. And I just, I got to be honest, like on a, on a very real level, did not think about Uruguay very much before we started supporting David and Claudia. Maybe during the World Cup would be the only time where it's like, oh yeah, that country exists, right? But now that we've been supporting them for this many years and we've gotten to know them and know their story and we see the work that God is doing there, and again, for me personally, having visited and built a relationship with them, man, I care about Uruguay now. I think about it way more than I used to. If you want a heart for God, give to the things that God cares about. Change your spending habits and watch your heart follow. Posture number three, giving back to God is about killing idols, which might sound harsh, but I think it's, it's helpful to, to think of it in this sort of extreme way. Giving back to God is about killing idols. Now, here, here's what I want you to uh, hear very clearly from me. 
Generosity at Discovery is not about funding ministry. It is not about building an organization. God is not looking for philanthropists. He wants our hearts. Right? He wants us. He wants relationship, family. And so when we talk about giving, this is, again, not about you know, meeting budget or whatever the financial goals might be. This is about our heart and how it is oriented towards God. What is at the center? Martin Luther says it this way. There are three conversions a person needs to experience. The conversion of the head, the conversion of the heart, and the conversion of the pocketbook. Generosity with our treasure frees us from the idol of money. When we talk about giving here, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about being generous in a way that frees us from lesser masters, from, uh, from these lesser idols, and then as we'll talk about next week, then frees us to, frees us to do some pretty cool things as we participate in God's kingdom. Now, generosity with our treasure frees us from the idol of money. That's one of those things that sounds really good. You can tweet that, put it on Instagram, whatever. But then practically speaking, we're like, I, I have no idea where to start. How, how do I actually do that? So I want to give us this morning two practical starting points. And my challenge to you is to dig in on one or both of these. They're fairly open-ended and you, know, you need to kind of do whatever you need to do here. But take this seriously. Uh, take these starting points seriously. Dig into them. See what happens. See what happens so that we collectively can take these steps towards freedom. Right? Freedom from the idol of money and then freedom to be generous in ways that lead to integrity. So starting point number one is create a budget. Right, there are a lot of different There's my list or walk through this with you. So again, Justin, who you saw up on the video earlier, any of our elders, my wife, Amy, a number of other people are very passionate about this. Ask for help. It is, it is one of the most healthy things that you can do in life is to say, I need help sorting out my finances. Now, I, I, well, that's an important step. Let me kind of walk through a couple of practical things here. As a starting point, lots of different budgeting tools that you can use. I, I, I like to use the 10-10-80 plan as a reference point. All right? 10-10-80. Give 10%, save 10%, live off 80%. Now, some of you are getting, are sweating already. You're like, whoa, whoa, man, like that's a lot to ask. Um, and so I want to talk through some more maybe simple baby steps to help us get there. So before jumping straight to this, maybe the first thing that you need to do is to simply track your spending, right, as we said earlier. And my challenge to you would be to take, like, to do this over the course of two months. Month one is just get in that habit, that practice of writing down, and I mean write down, whether it's in a, a spreadsheet or on a piece of paper, write down how much you actually spend a month, see where it goes. You may be very surprised. Right? Just like we talked about with time, when you actually track your time, you're like, oh, <laughs> I had no idea. 
So first thing might be to simply do that. The second thing I want to say is that this is a framework. This is not legalistic or binding in any way. There have been seasons uh, in our life, Amy and I, where we have done like the 10-1-89 plan or some other version of that. Again, there is a lot of grace here. This is simply a starting point. Now, a question that does come up often is about the give 10%. Where does that number come from? Is that even biblical? What's up with 10%? This is oftentimes referred to as the tithe, and it is a real thing. It is found in the Bible, uh, especially in the Old Testament, referred to in a number of different places, Deuteronomy 14, 22, and some other spots. But here's what I want you to hear. The trajectory of Scripture from Genesis all the way to Revelation, the trajectory of Scripture is away from law and legalism and moves us towards grace and freedom. And so one of the questions that comes up is, are we bound to the tithe anymore? And my answer to that is no. I think that the trajectory of Scripture moves us away from being legalistically bound to 10%. Now, having said that, I think what we see in the New Testament in particular is that Jesus frees us from the law, not so that we don't have to give, but so that we can give more. The question I think that Jesus would have us ask is not, is it 10% or 8% or argue about the number? I think the question that Jesus would want us to sit with is, what does radical generosity look like for me? What does radical generosity look like for me, given my life stage, my income, my resources, the responsibilities that I have? I think it's very open, but a significant question that we need to sit with. For some of us, to be quite frank, that radical step might simply be to committing with at the like 5, 7, 114 plan. I've been there, okay? I've been there. I know, I know what that's like. But there are some good steps that you can take to get back within your means and so you can start being generous, which is starting point number two, which is to give. And here I have to say that I am, I am preaching to the choir. This is an incredibly generous community. And to paraphrase and quote the Apostle Paul, I have seen you guys excel in giving. But for some of us, this is, I think, again, a, a big question that we need to consider is, am I being invited to start giving? to take that next step towards wholeness and integrity. For, for others of us, it, it might be just examining our giving. You know, we live in an interesting moment where uh, so many things are automated, right? And even for me, like our giving happens just automatically through the internet. I don't even know how that works, but like numbers just float around. And, and the beauty of that is the consumer where you're like, you leave the check at home, right? And you're like, oh, man, I left the check at home. And some of you are like, what's a check? <laughs> so there is something beautiful about the consistency of online giving. But, for, but at the same time, there can be that sense of like out of sight, out of mind. And I struggle with this personally because I feel like there's a disconnect between my giving and that like tangible act of worshiping God in this way. And so what, what we do, I think this is a, a, something you probably need to do from time to time, is just like check it. <laughs> what, what is it? Um, have we thought about it? Is, it? is it in alignment with the rest of our 
finances. And so for some of us, the step might be start giving. For others of us, it might be re-examine or, or go back and look at that, that automatic thing and consider where you're at with giving right now. Now, one other question that comes up a lot, especially in our community, is what if I'm in debt? What if I have a weird income situation? Or what if I'm a student? And I will say this. I do think that there are some extreme scenarios where you may need to stop giving. Okay, And there's always freedom and grace in this conversation. But I will also say this. Financial giving is critical to our hearts, as we've said And as counterintuitive as it sounds, if you're in a financial, if you're struggling financially to sort all of this out, one of the best things to do actually is to start giving. And it may be a very small amount, but just start giving because what happens there is it reprioritizes and clarifies everything else. And so that little step can begin to clarify, oh, now now I'm starting to keep track and now I know where this is going and all of a sudden things begin to make more sense. And by the way, students are some of the most radically generous people here. I am continually impressed with the generosity of our student community. So wherever you are at, give what you think you can and see what happens. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. In the Greek, all means all. There's no tricky thing there. All things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now as we get ready for communion, and as the band comes back to lead us in in worship as we wrap up our gathering, I want to just come back to this truth that, that... Jesus wants us to be free. Jesus wants us to be free. He wants us to be free of lesser masters, these idols that can kind of creep in and take over the center of our lives. Generosity is not meant to be a burden. It is not a painful thing that we do to prove how spiritual we are. Generosity is, again, about moving towards integrity wholeness, the undivided, wholehearted life that Jesus offers us. Jesus says it this way. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Friends, we have a gentle and humble Savior. A gentle and humble King. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus' desire for us is that we would be whole, integrated, and free. And so if you are feeling the weight of, oh my gosh, I have all these issues with my money, Jesus wants you to be free. And there is just a ton of grace for each and every one of us in every area of life, but especially in this one, which does again, again, get right to the heart of what matters. So as we come to the table this morning, as we come and take that bread and that juice representing Jesus' body and blood, may we come with grateful hearts, 
May we come with grateful hearts. God, thank you for what you have done to free me from lesser idols, lesser masters. Come with grateful hearts. But then also, if you need to this morning, I mean, just have a little chat with God about where, where you are at with this. Where, where is my treasure? What does that say about my heart? And maybe today you just need to make some sort of like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to try this. This is the next step that I am going to take. Whatever it might be. May we together as a community take very practical, real steps towards generosity so that we can be free from these lesser things that compete for our heart and our affections. Let me pray. Jesus, I do just pray that over our community right now. May we experience the freedom that you offer. That, that light yoke, that easy burden that comes from having you at the center and having the rest of our lives reordered, everything back in its proper place. And Father, may we as a community grow in generosity as a response to who you are and what you've done for us, but also as a way for us to grow in integrity. We pray this this morning in Jesus' name, amen.